Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, Merry Christmas, Craig. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> oh, what what a pleasant Christmas it's been, right? <laughs> you know, with all the craziness that's going on in the world, it's nice to have some things that uh, feel at least a little bit normal. You know, putting up the Christmas mm. tree, ordering all of your Christmas presents from Amazon. <laughs> 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 and and watching these Christmas movies that pop up every year on cable and it, honestly, I, I jest, but uh, it really is nice to have a little bit of normalcy and um, the the Christmas season has lifted my spirits this year. Mm. Well, you know, Christmas is the time of year, even though maybe we get together with a few more family members than we will be this year, we yeah. do spend it indoors, right? We sit inside our our living rooms, hopefully around a fire or a video of a fire crackling on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) Lounging around in our pajamas, watching holiday films, or in our case, holiday horror films. And I can't think that it's, you know, we didn't go out to do this on purpose, but I can't help but think that there's something subconscious about what we did this year where we ended up choosing horror comedies. Mm-hmm. For Christmas. I mean, we did Santa's sleigh. We did Anne and the Apocalypse. And this week, uh, we went very light on the horror, actually, to something that we think we can justify as a horror movie. But gosh darn, it's just one of the two of our most favorite Christmas movies of all time. And it's called Scrooged starring Bill Murray from 1988. And I mean, it's based on the original uh, Christmas ghost story. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, we certainly, certainly are justified in doing any version of A Christmas Carol that's out there, right? They're all ghost stories. I think so. I tried to talk you into doing this last year, and you're like, I don't know, dude. I don't know if this is really a horror movie. And I, you know, relented and said, all right, you're probably right. But this year, when we were looking around at things to do, I actually saw this movie pop up on uh, several horror movie lists. And, And the more I thought about it, the movie is not scary. It is not a scary movie. Children could watch no. this movie, but it definitely has horror elements and the source material, like you said, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is, you know, that scary ghost story that they talk about in the Christmas carols. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glory, you know, like, this is it. This is the this is <laughs> yeah. the scary ghost story of Christmas. And I love the source material and you know, I've read the novella. Uh, it's great. I've seen a lot of uh different adaptations of it and I've liked I think all of them. A Muppet's Christmas Carol is lovely. Mm. Oh, don't get me started. It, even I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan, but I thought the Jim Carrey animated adaptation was actually really good (laughs) you know what we love that one the one that's a little creepy that's animated using the image movers or whatever that robert zemeckis was doing there for a little while we actually really like that one in our house and we do watch that a lot and that one has you know some pretty scary elements too because it also follows closer to the source material which is a little scarier at moments you know the death character there's a little bit more there it gets a little more philosophical and and he has a couple characters under his cloak, right? 
what are they? Sorrow and pity, or I can't remember yeah, what they yeah. are. But anyway, yeah, and that and that follows even closer to the sorcerer material, and I think ends up a little scarier as a result. This movie is lighter, and like I said, I think this year we were we seem to be in the mood for lighter horror movies for Christmas time. <laughs> And so it's really appropriate to do. And Bill Murray, oh God, Bill Murray is just one of my all-time favorite actors just because he makes everything he's in feel so effortless. Like he's an improviser by trade. And everyone who's ever worked with him says that, including Richard Donner, who directed this movie, said that, uh, the hardest thing about directing Bill, Bill Murray is you don't direct him. You, you basically, you hold him back. <laughs> yeah. You tell him to pull back because he will improvise everything. He'll just go off. And uh, a lot of this movie apparently was improvised. And there was a bit of tension between Richard Donner and Bill Murray on this. Bill Murray doesn't actually have fond memories working on this film. He thought it was a bit of a slog. Which he, is he a, came off. Yeah. Which I, is I, weird, right? It, well, it's weird and unfortunate because... Uh, I guess when the movie was made, Bill Murray had kind of pulled back a little bit. He wasn't working as much, you know, he just wasn't feeling that into it. In fact, I think he had moved out of the country and he was just, yeah. he, he he wasn't feeling it. He was kind of um, psyched out by his Ghostbusters success just a few years before this um, and kind of felt like that was so big and so successful that it could very well be the most successful thing he's ever done in his career, which was kind of a depressing thought. And so he thought about just giving up acting entirely (laughs) at that point. Right. And he said, you know, there would be times when he would maybe want to work, but the scripts that he was getting just weren't appealing. He, He had been offered this script at least a year or two before they actually made it. And, and he had turned it down even though he was interested. And so when it came back around again, he decided to do it, but he personally, Murray, wasn't satisfied with the script, so they did a lot of reworking of the script. What Murray says, basically, is they just ripped it to shreds and started putting pieces back, to, back together. Uh, he said that they uh, amped up the uh, romantic plot. They fidgeted with some stuff with uh, the family, and when I when I... When he says the family, I assume they mean his secretary Grace's family, which is an excellent part of this movie. That's why, like, I have been nervous since we decided to do this about talking about it because I love everything about it. <laughs> like, I feel like <laughs> no matter what we end up talking about over the next 50 minutes or whatever, I'm going to think back and say, oh, my God, I can't believe we didn't talk about that because – Oh, I just love everything about it. But anyway, Murray says that the final product is very different than the original script. And he said that they shot a lot and really fast. They shot it really fast and they shot a lot of material. And he said tons of it ended up on the cutting room floor. And and what we get is kind of a hodgepodge of little bits and pieces of what they were going for. And I think that ultimately Murray wasn't fully satisfied with the final product, but I'm going to disagree with him. And I think that mm. this movie is fantastic. It's, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. It's one of my favorite movies end stop. It's hilarious. Uh, yeah. there are amazing people in it and it's a sweet, redemption story and more so than in any other movie 
I find Bill Murray so captivating and charming in this movie. He has so many levels. He plays the hard-ass businessman who seemingly doesn't care about anybody. He plays that so naturally, and it's so easy to believe. But then there are other moments when you see his vulnerability and his soft side and his chemistry with Karen Allen, who is his love interest, is so sweet and natural. Mm. Like, uh, he just blows me away in this movie. It's my favorite Bill Murray movie by far. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and he has to care. He is the movie. Yeah. I mean, the movie centers around him. If if And I think uh, Eddie Murphy had been considered or offered a position um, uh, in this role. Uh, there was one other actor, I believe, was seriously considered for this, ended up going to Murray. And again, after all the reworking, he agreed to do it. But this was really his first time ever having to carry a film. He right. was always an ensemble player before this. And so I think that probably made him a bit nervous as well. And they said he has a very workmanlike mentality on the set, even though, you know, he's so beloved now. Like, people laugh about Bill Murray and they joke about him. And he's got goofy stuff he's done and random things that he does in real life, right? And I, I hear he's a New Yorker through and through. He still lives there. And he'll just go down the street with, um, whenever he's walking out outside, you know, not no entourage, no nothing. But he'll have a fistful of dollar bills in his hand and he'll put one in the cup of every panhandler that he comes across, you know. That's funny. Yet I've also... Oh, you know, yeah, go ahead. I think yeah. I, I think I was going to say the th- same thing you're getting ready to say. Right, right. Yeah, yet I've also heard he is kind of a dick to work yeah. with at times. And the way he conducts his business is kind of dickish, too. I mean, he doesn't have an agent. He has a phone number, and it's attached to, like, an answering machine. And you can call it. You can be anybody. You can be the the biggest producer in the world, and in order to get a hold of him, you got to leave a stupid message on this answering machine and wonder if he's ever going to get back to you. And uh, there are roles, I think it might have been Charlie's Angel, that he kind of basically took last minute and just kind of called and said, yeah, I'm going to accept it. You know, when are you going to start shooting? And then just sort of showed up, did his thing, and then left. And didn't always leave a very good impression on the cast and crew that, that was right. working with him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have heard that personally he's kind of an asshole. And um, I actually knew somebody in college who... was related to him by marriage oh and uh had had met him at a family reunion or something and they said he was really kind of a dick he was really aloof (laughs) but whatever much like many of the characters he plays i guess maybe that's why it works so well if you look into the history of snl like he was a big dick to gilda radner which is kind of an unforgivable sin to me like she Mm, was desperately in love with him and he kind of dicked her around but whatever you know we all have our moments regardless um he's very very talented and his talent is on full display in this movie absolutely and and much like you know the two of us this movie is beloved now by lots of people it's very much on television uh this time of year it's uh one of those regular this is the movie we've got to kind of watch around the season it's become that in the wake of its release its release it didn't do too bad i think it made over 100 million on a 32 million budget yeah i think it was a little disappointing in terms of the reception that it got from critics the audience seemed to kind of find it okay but i was shocked you know i've said on this on the show before that roger ebert is kind of one of my yeah. one of my one of my role models and uh, i tend to agree with almost everything he says about films but he gave this movie a one star review when it came out yep 
He said it was the worst adaptation of A Christmas Carol that he'd ever seen. Yeah. Crazy. And he just felt like it was just negative. He said there was like no joy in it. This is cynical guy who's just humbugging his way through it. How are we supposed to relate to this guy? How are we supposed to find any joy in this movie? I totally disagree, actually. (laughs) Completely disagree with him. And I don't know if he ever later revised his uh, opinion of this movie, as he often did. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find any evidence of that. It doesn't really matter. Right. What matters is what we have to say about it here right. and now today. Ugh. <laughs> 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 oh, so, well, I mean, where to begin? I mean, where to begin? It's the Christmas. Let, let's 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 start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. It it opens up, you know, with this you know classic kind of aerial shot shooting through the clouds. And I have to mention right off the bat, so I don't forget to mention Danny Elfman's score in this movie is amazing. Yes. I I love it. Like from the very beginning, it it's very Christmassy but dark Christmassy. It's almost kind of a children's choir sound in the background, it, but it, oh, it just it, it sets the tone so well. And the first thing we see, if you hadn't seen the movie before, you would think, "What the heck am I getting into?" Because you don't realize that what it really is is a trailer for a movie that this uh, network that Frank Cross, Bill Murray's character, uh, is the president or lead programming guy. I don't know. He's he's executive at this place. We see a trailer for The Night the Reindeer Died. <laughs> Starring Lee Majors, Starring the Six Lee Million Majors. Dollar Man. <laughs> and it's so funny. Like, Santa's workshop is getting attacked by, like, terrorists with machine guns, and the elves <laughs> and Santa and Santa's wives, like, go to their arsenal of machine guns that are, are defending the workshop. And then Lee Majors, the $6 million man, shows up and. Oh, it's just classic. And there are so many cameos in this movie. Like, oh my God. I can't think of a movie where there it's are endless. more cameos of famous people. Uh, right after the night the reindeer died, we have Bob Goulet's old fashioned Cajun Christmas <laughs> <laughs> with Robert Goulet on like a, a raft and like alligators are chasing him while he's singing silver bells and it's so funny and the catchphrase for the seasonal movies on this network IBC or something whatever it is is you'll love it Y-U-L-E mm. very cute <laughs> and then we're introduced to Frank Cross uh, Bill Murray who is very disappointed. Oh, we also see their promo for their big event, which is a live production of what they're calling Scrooge, but it's Charles Dickens' uh, A Christmas Carol. And it's very classic and very traditional. Buddy Hackett, is that what his name yep. is? Yep, Buddy Hackett is Scrooge. Yeah, is, is playing Scrooge, and it's got Mary Lou Retton as Tiny Tim. <laughs> like, and... <laughs> People, the solid gold dancers. The solid gold dancers. <laughs> if 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 you were to show this to your son in ten years, he would have no idea who these people were. Oh yeah. But these names were so ingrained in our consciousness in the nineteen eighties. Mary Lou Retton was America's sweetheart. She was this mm. cute 
sweet little gymnast. Um, the Solid Gold dancers, my God, I remember watching Solid Gold. I don't even remember when it was on. Was it on on Saturday mornings or on Friday nights or I something? But it was just it was Showgirls on network television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was great. <laughs> um, they're in it, but they show the the promo and it's uh, very traditional. And he's disappointed in it. We have spent forty million dollars on a live TV show. You guys have got an ad with America's favorite old fart. Reading a book in front of a fireplace. Now, I have to kill all of you. <laughs> That's not good TV. And then he shows his promo. Absolutely. Drug addiction. <laughs> International terrorism. Freeway killers. It is important to remember the true meaning of Christmas. Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic, Scrooge. Your life might just depend on it. (laughs) (laughs) And Bobcat Goldthwait is one of the young, I guess, decision makers at this table or whatever, and is absolutely appalled by this. And I also, I love Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah. He, you know... He annoyed the hell out of me when I was a kid, and as an adult, I have since really copped to his humor style, and I think he's one of the most brilliant comedians ever, honestly. Yeah. He was so funny, and he's great in this, as this this nice kind of happy-go-lucky guy yeah, who's he, just, you, you know, he's just kind of trying to make his mark, and <laughs> he goes up to Bill Murray and tells him, oh, oh don't you think, we're going to scare people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and he gets dismissed and and this is the beginning of you know where we see his true colors obviously uh as he's walking out bobcat goldthwaite has this little interaction with him and frank cross just kind of says to him oh you know what i'll take that under advisement thank you very much and as he walks by he goes to his secretary and he looks over at her and his secretary's name is um grace played by the incomparable alfrey woodard yes Ugh. So many good people in this movie. Alfrey yeah. Woodard, I just freaking love her. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else do you remember her from? Oh, my God. She's been in a bazillion things. The thing yeah. that I liked her most in, did you ever see that movie um, with uh, Iron Man? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.? <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Heart and Souls. Did you ever see oh, that yes. movie? Oh, where yeah, he was yeah, a yeah. guy and, like, she was one of these, like, five ghosts that mm-hmm. he had to help or whatever. Oh, uh, right. Sweet, wonderful movie. But she's been in a bazillion things. She's she's a genius and gorgeous and young in this movie and so sweet. And she this still is looks a great. part. Like that's the thing that I like about this movie. Her part. I mean, she's the um Oh gosh, in a Christmas Carol. Like the what's, Bob Cratchit. She's the Bob this? Cratchit mm-hmm. in this movie. And she's perfect. She, you know, she's Poor. This all takes place in Chicago, and and she, I think she lives in one of the you know poorer areas of Chicago, of which there are many. But she has this big family, and they are 
barely getting by. They're living in this small apartment. This, you know, she's got a bunch of kids. Her husband has passed away. Her mother lives with her. And her youngest son, Calvin, is the Tiny Tim character. In, in this movie, instead of being physically handicapped, he's emotionally damaged because he witnessed his father's murder. And so he's mute. He hasn't spoken since that time. And I didn't write down the actor's name who plays Calvin because he was a little tiny kid. I have no idea if he's done anything else. But so, uh, I'll clean up my language, so freaking cute. <laughs> I, you can't stand it. He's the perfect Tiny Tim. And yeah. Grace is the perfect Bob Cratchit. She's so easy to love. And uh, Anyway. this is how this whole show is gonna go for us today i think it is i'm just gonna gush over the whole thing bobcat goldthwaite like you said i found him funny you know when i was a kid but yeah he was a little bit obnoxious he plays against type in this movie usually he's very loud and aggressive and in this movie, he's very meek and mild and um, sweet. He doesn't approach Frank aggressively. He's just like, you can frighten people. Think I'm way off base here? Yes. You're, well, you're a tad off base, sir. Um, that thing looked like the, the Manson family Christmas special. Well, it's a little late to get this kind of feedback. That's because um, this is the first time I've ever seen it, sir. You're right, I... Sprung it on you. Well, it's it's not that bad. It's just lose, like um, you know the part with the gun and the blood, All right. and the guy um shooting I, up, and then they they. If I can change it, I'll let you know in five minutes. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. And then Frank tells Grace to call security and have him thrown out and fired. And you see him sitting on the curb outside the building trying to figure out what he's going to say to his fiance, like, oh, yeah, we'll have to move into a studio apartment, but maybe it'll be nice. And uh, (laughs) taking the bus bus to work isn't so bad. (laughs) And then you don't really see him again much until the end of the movie. In fact, I was – I started watching this. We decided to do it late, and – as we do every year, as soon as we saw that it was going to be on cable, we DVR'd it. So I had it ready to go. But we started watching it, and we got about 10 minutes in, and I'm like, oh, Alan, they're cutting out so much. And so I switched over to Amazon and paid 4 bucks to rent it. And the stuff that they cut out was fairly inconsequential, but necessary for the full experience of the movie. And Mm. some of the stuff that they cut out were were the little tiny scenes we see of Bobcat Goldthwaite continuing to struggle and be put upon throughout. And that's important. Yeah, it is important, but he does he does become kind of a running gag, right? It's like yeah. uh, he's just basically for the rest of the movie until the, the climax at the end, he's stumbling around in the streets with a bottle of alcohol that either in one scene falls out of his bag and breaks as he gets splashed with water, or in another scene gets taken out of his hand as a car drives by. He, he can't even get his last fix and just gets more and more unhinged, presumably, as it goes through. So yeah, we keep popping back to him every now and then, but uh, it's not like he's a part of the main story until it kind of wraps back around uh, at the very, very end. Right. 
another person who I just want to mention is Mary Ellen Trainer is in this movie. Mm. She plays somebody who works with Frank, and and her role is really insignificant, but she's so recognizable. I mean, yeah, she did tons of Donner's movies, Mom and Goonies. Yep, and she was in all the Lethal Weapon movies, um, and so just even just her presence <laughs> elevates this movie for me but then uh frank starts giving his dictating his christmas list to grace and he's either giving out towels or vcrs (laughs) and he's only giving out vcrs to the important people everybody else gets towels and grace says your brother and he says towel and she says your only brother like i just i also love this relationship between scrooge frank and grace like yeah she's not so put upon that she can't kind of speak her mind yeah i mean he always wins like at one point he comes into her part of the office and she's got a drawing that was made by one of her kids and it looks like a kid's drawing and he pulls it off the wall and says how many fingers does mrs claus have and she says 11 and he crumples it up and says right it's crap get it out of here i don't want it on the wall like he's (laughs) such a jerk but it's like they've worked together for so long that she knows how to deal with him and yeah that's cool too his boss whose name i don't know if it's his first name or last name he calls him preston robert mitchum another huge star mm-hmm. who they didn't think that they were going to be able to get to do this movie because it was such a small role but he agreed to do it and they were all just completely enamored by him now i have here a study from hampstead university which shows us that cats and dogs are beginning to watch television. Now, if these scientists are right, you should start programming right now. Well, in 20 years, they could become steady viewers. I, I'm going through my notes. What I told my partner last night was what I, the reason I'm worried about doing this movie is because I feel like every single part I love. And so I'm going to feel like I want to talk about every single part, and we can't. Um, so I'm trying to focus on the important stuff. Frank's baby brother, James comes to visit him in his office. And I assume that this is supposed to be the nephew role from the original source material. His little brother is played by Bill Murray's little brother. And in fact, uh, three, I have no idea how many siblings Bill Murray has in total, but three of his brothers are established working actors, and all three of them appear in this movie. Um, one plays his little brother, one plays his dad in a flashback, and another is a guest at a Christmas party later in the movie, which yep. is cool. And his dad was also the mayor. Well, his dad in the flashback, one of his brothers, was also the mayor in Groundhog's Day. And yes, and the boss in uh, Christmas Vacation. Oh, that's right. Uh, Chevy Chase's boss. And they have a talk, and you know, I don't remember exactly what they say, but it's just obvious that the little brother wants to have a relationship with his big brother, and he invites him to Christmas and says, What are the chances of you actually coming to Christmas dinner this year? And Bill Murray's like, "Uh, Zero. Um, but Bill Murray does say, look, I, I like you and I like spending time with you. 
I hope you have a good new year. And he disappears and goes away to accept a humanitarian of the year award. (laughs) (laughs) This is hilarious. But I mean, even these little things, it... I, I may be reading too much into it, but I really don't think so. The relationship with with Murray and his little brother, you can tell that there's genuine feeling and warmth there. Yeah. They're just such different people that they don't mesh. And Frank is kind of messed up. And eventually we see in the flashbacks why that is. But that doesn't come until later. First, the Jacob Marley character in the form of uh, Frank's former deceased boss, Lou Hayward, played by John Forsythe, <laughs> another huge guy, Charlie from Charlie's Angels, visits him. Uh, and it's great. Like, it's all very supernatural. Like, he explodes into the room and he's all corpse-like and gross and... Bill Murray is reacting to him. He shoots him a bunch of times with a gun. And <laughs> and the ghost is like, I don't mind you hitting me, Frank, but try to lay off the booze. Because he accidentally shoots the booze bottle or something. You know, this might be the most horror of the whole movie, really. It's, it's pretty gross. He's kind of basically a dead zombie dude. They didn't go the ghost route, which you get with some of these Christmas carols right. where, you know, he comes in as a spirit. But he's there almost like a zombie, and there's a gag where, you know, he's drinking. Uh, Bill Murray shoots him several times, and, you know, a mouse crawls out of his skull. <laughs> a, yeah. a golf ball rolls out of his skull. And, and and after he shot him a few times, he presumably got holes in him. When he drinks uh, the, right. <laughs> the thing, it's like all the water leaks out like a cartoon. But then, you know, he grabs him, and he holds him, pushes him magically through the window. And of the skyscraper that they're in and holds him out over the street below. The ghost is just laughing at him. And uh, as he's holding him out there, his arm starts to fall off. And and Bill Murray is grabbing at his arm, but he's just tearing it apart. And it's a little gross, actually, but it's it's all yeah. very dusty, you know, and, and, and corpse-like. And, yeah. And eventually tears his arm off as he plummets down and then wakes up back at the studio. And this is where everything kind of comes back to, whereas in The Christmas Carol, everything comes back to Scrooge's bed. Right. In this movie... Everything after these little episodes comes back to this production of Scrooge in the TV studio where they're rehearsing it for the live production. And that's a really clever device. It's really kind of neat because then it allows for some really interesting um, transitions, you know, where he's Mm -hmm. suddenly he's there on the set kind of in the middle of a of a scene that was very similar to what he just left. And I love that. And and it's cool because, too, as everybody else kind of sees that he's gradually becoming unhinged, they're all like, oh, you know, you you need to take a break. Maybe you should go. You should go away. And it gives him a lot of goofy things to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's another guy, too, who gets introduced. What the ghost tells him is that. At 12 o'clock or 7 o'clock or something, tomorrow you're going to be visited by your first spirit. And uh, he's having lunch with his boss. And his boss is giving him the news, is about to give him the news that he's uh, hired somebody else to kind of take over for him for a little while to help him out more or less as an assistant. But it's clear that this guy's gunning for the job. And this guy's name is... Bryce Cummings. It's the douchiest name you could imagine. And he comes in, you yeah. know, super douchey as well. And well, we meet again, huh? How are you? Oh, look at this. Blue is bad color for New York. 
Frank, I realize this is coming at you pretty damn fast, but I want you to understand that my only function here is to take some of the burden off your shoulders. A lot of men in your position would see me as a threat. It's only natural. That's me. You are going to be visited by green ghosts. And then this sets up this scene where he's like, oh, oh, I see. He, like, in his head, he thinks this guy's the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and Murray's he's, acting here is hilarious. Like <laughs> he's he's like trying to subtly like say to the ghost, like I know it's you, but he's not really saying anything. It's all through looks and like just little lip movements. But he's clearly uncomfortable, which makes the other guys, Bryce and his boss at the table, think that he's unhinged mm-hmm. and you would. I mean, that's what it looks like. He looks like he's losing it. His boss even says something like, don't fall apart on me, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he does because he, th- he thinks that guy is the ghost. Yeah. But he's also having hallucinations. Like, he orders a highball to drink and when the waiter puts it down he looks down and he sees an eyeball in it and freaks out of course nobody else sees it and then he looks over and a waiter is serving a um baked alaska yeah baked like on flambe or whatever he sees the waiter's uniform catch fire it's not really happening, but we see that he's seeing it and he's freaking out. And eventually he excuses himself and gets up and runs over and throws an ice bucket on this waiter who is not on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he says, I'm sorry. For a minute, I thought you were Richard Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> Which nobody younger than us will get. Uh, but Richard Pryor was a very, very hugely famous black comedian, but <laughs> notoriously at one point, I think in the process of using drugs, caught himself on fire. Yeah. So it's a little uh, in-joke there. And then he walks out and there's physical comedy where he slips and falls and jumps back up. And I read that that was an accident like he really did fall which again just to me speaks to bill murray's talent that something like that an accident can happen and you can make it work it looks fantastic in the Mm, movie it looks so good it looks like intentional physical comedy done really well but really it was just an accident that he played with uh it's hilarious so good when the boss or the the dead boss After he left, when Frank wakes back up in his office, the phone dials itself, and it dials a woman named Claire. Her answering machine picks up. Murray leaves a message saying, I know it's been a long time since we've talked, but I I need to talk to you. Like, it's it's very frantic. And it, it turns out that this is a woman that he had been in a relationship with, like, 15 years ago. She ends up showing up the next day on set after Frank has dealt with the censor's complaints about being able to see solid gold dancers nipples (laughs) Nipples. (laughs) and I will not allow this costume on the air why not well specifically you can see her nipples I want to see her nipples but this is a Christmas show well Charles Dickens would have wanted to see her nipples then 
Oh, you, can, uh, you can hardly see them nipples. See, and these guys are really looking. <laughs> <laughs> but she shows up, and she calls him Lumpy for reasons we'll find out later. But she is just so... From the second you see her, I mean, even the score does kind of this angelic thing when it shows her for the first time. She's played by Karen Allen. Most people would probably know Karen Allen from the Indiana Jones movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. She was Indy's love interest in those movies. She was also in Starman. I remember her from um, the film adaptation of The Glass Menagerie. She played mm. Laura in The Glass Menagerie. And, oh, my God, devastating wow. performance in that movie. But she's so I, – I told Alan as we were watching this together last night because he likes this movie too. I said Karen Allen is just the epitome of the girl next door. Yeah. She is just gorgeous in the sweetest, most – innocent beautiful way i just love her and she's great in this movie and her role in this movie is basically to be perfect <laughs> you know <Yeah>. like <laughs> she's she's the girl that could have changed his life she's the girl that could have fixed his cynicism and his negativity but it just didn't work out and and we see that but just and, and the other thing that I love is that any time that he's with her, his whole demeanor changes. Yeah. When he's focused on her. Now, when he's distracted by his life, like when a, a crew person comes and says, oh, we've got these dormice and they're supposed to have antlers, but we can't get them to stay on with the glue. And he's like, well, did you try staples? And Claire's like, don't you dare. I'll call the ASPCA or whatever. <laughs> so, so he's easily distracted and easily shifts back into his other personality. But when it's just the two of them, he's a totally different person. But it's, it's believable. Like, yeah, she makes him a better person. And, well, and that I feel like is kind of the trajectory of the movie that he has to learn to embrace that. But it's not easy. It's so interesting, too, how she just kind of deals with him. You can tell they have a history, and she's just so positive. It's like she looks past most of his assholishness, really, right? and is willing to just kind of forget that. Because she's seen him before he was that dick. She knew him yeah. when he was struggling and working his way up through the studio, which is what his the majority of his Ghost of Christmas Past experience is like. After he leaves that restaurant, he gets calls a cab, and a crazy old taxi jumps up, and uh, he gets into it. This cab driver's hilarious, and he's the kind of guy I thought that he had been in more films, but actually he's more of a musician. His name is David Johansson, and he was a, a good friend of Murray's. Yeah. And I guess um, Sam Kinison was originally considered for this role, but this guy, because he was a friend of Murray's, won out. And he's great and Kinison, in this role, too. He is great. Sam Kinison would have been good. Yeah, he would have also been good, yeah. This guy, David Johansson, uh, is, is really good in the role. And you're right. Like, I know he has been in other things. I've seen him in other things, but I remember him as a musician. He worked, uh, with a band whose name escapes me right now, but I remember him as Buster Poindexter because oh. they, on MTV, his video for hot, 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 how you feeling? Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that got played all the time. So I remember yeah. him from that. 
and from this. But he's hilarious. And in his uh, taxi cab, much like Back to the Future, you know, they travel <laughs> back in time and like you see the meter for the taxi rolling back in time. And they go back to the 1950s where you see Frank's childhood and he's sitting in front of a TV on Christmas and his mom's there and pregnant with his younger brother and she's smoking cigarettes. <laughs> his dad shows up and apparently his dad's a butcher and he gives him, he's like, hey, I got you a present. Again, this is one of Murray's older brothers. And he throws down a package and, and cute, cute little Frank, four-year-old Frank, opens it up and it's a cut of uh, veal. <laughs> he's like, but daddy, I wanted to shoot you. And the dad berates him for being ungrateful, and uh, the mom says, Ah, oh, come on, he, he's only four. And the dad, this line, I love it so much. All day long, I listen to people give excuses why they can't work. My back hurts, my legs ache. I'm only four. <laughs> 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 he cries frank cries much to the amusement of the ghost of christmas past and he says you know you don't really have a childhood the ghost says and he's like i do too i've got all these memories but it turns out all of his memories are really things that he saw on tv which makes sense why yeah. he would have gone into television because that mm -hmm. was his whole childhood he had nothing else we then jump to an office party sometime uh, at ibc when frank was just uh, an intern everybody else is partying and having a great time and the ghost says yeah they used to have these epic parties every year until you took over um and everybody's having fun and but he leaves. He's he's propositioned by this hot girl, Balky's girlfriend from Perfect Strangers. But he turns her down <laughs> and, and leaves. And that's when he meets Claire. He's just walking down the street, and she opens a door, and he walks right into it. And that's where the nickname Lumpy comes from. And they have a very cute, charming meeting where he's flirting with her. And in my notes, I wrote, ah, even Lumpy can be charming. He is. He's so charming in this moment. Like, regardless of what I've heard about Bill Murray, if I were Claire in this moment, I would have been charmed. He's yeah. sweet. He's goofy. Ugh. It's just so cute, and it surprises me. I don't recall ever having seen Bill Murray play this part before. It's it's very, very endearing. Yeah. Then we get the history of their relationship, which is sweet, but ultimately sad. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they seem to be getting along just fine. They seem to live together in an apartment. They give each other gifts for Christmas. And, uh, and then uh, he ends up playing this dog in a kid's show. So he's in the big dog costume, uh, sweating his way to the top. Everything kind of comes to a head when she comes to visit him at the studio and he's on a quick break. At this very same time, his boss invites him to go out for a dinner. And he's like, this, this could be my big break. The boss has never invited me out for dinner before, and so you should come with me. And she says, well, I, I can't come with you because I've got this, this charity event I've got I've to work. And he's like, well, what's well, more no, important? Well, they, no, they are supposed to, together, they're supposed to be having dinner with friends. That's they're, right. She says they're our best friends. Mm. And, and he says, well, we can have dinner with them anytime. And she says, anytime? It's Christmas Eve. We've had this plan for months. And 
he says, well, you can't expect the executive of a big network to make plans for months. Basically, in this moment, he chooses work very callously yeah. over her. She's clearly upset, and he's very callous and chooses a work opportunity, which ultimately for him pans out. But, yeah. And she even says, I think we should take a break. And he just puts the dog head back on. It's like, okay, well, whatever. I'll talk to you later. And that's kind of the end of it. And it's so sad. You see her, you know, he's walking back onto set and she calls out to him, but he doesn't even look back. And she just says, Merry Christmas. And that's the end. And that's, you know, that was apparently the end of their relationship, which has led him to where he is now. And he claims that (laughs) another one of my favorite lines right after that, he pops as you said before, back into the studio where the show is rehearsing and (laughs) Claire's character in the show, I think her name's Fanny in the book, is saying to Ebenezer, I hope you're happy with the path that you've chosen. And Bill Murray (laughs) goes up to her and says, well, I am happy with the path I've chosen, you little bitch. Well, Ebenezer... May you be happy with the path that you have chosen. <laughs> well, I am happy with the path that I've chosen, you little bitch. Uh, but then he's unhinged again and he's walking trying to find where she works and she works at it's called operation reach out it's like a homeless shelter there he runs into some homeless people all three of them famous but i didn't look it up at the time ann ramsey is one of them Mm -hmm. ann ramsey also from the goonies and deadly friend (laughs) it was like one of our very first episodes (laughs) (laughs) so memorable this was one of her last appearances and she's very very sweet in this movie um and he has some back and forth with them it's very cute but then he deals with claire and he confesses to her, like, he he says, I've been thinking a lot about the past. And, you know, kind of like how if things had been different, maybe you would have done different things differently. And she's like, are you talking about regret? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And she says, well, the good thing about regret is it's never too late. You can always change. Yeah. And it seems very sweet. And she's giving him this big opening <laughs> yeah, right now. Big, exactly. But then they're interrupted by an emergency at the shelter. And again, he just switches. Hmm. You know, as soon as things aren't going his way, he turns very callous and he's rude to the volunteers that she works with. And she's so patient with him. Like, she's kind of almost unbelievably patient because he's such an asshole. Yeah. When he's an asshole, he's such an asshole. But also, it kind of hammers home the point that there is probably nobody else on this earth that could handle him but her, right? right. Like, like in every way, shape, or form, like, these two are pretty well destined to be together if he's ever going to be with anybody, right? Yeah. She brings out the best in him. And, yeah. you know, if he could just get a grip. But he's a total dick, and she says he invites her out to go do something. And she says, I, I will. I just, I, I just have to take care of this real quick. And he's like, forget it. Never mind. And he goes to leave and she calls out to him again and he turns around and he says, let me give you some advice. Scrape him off, Claire. 
you want to save somebody, save yourself. And he turns around and walks away and she says, well, that's, that's, that's real nice at Christmas. And he turns around and says, bah humbug. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, God, this, another thing that I love about this movie is that it's totally modernized, but it is an excellent adaptation of the source material. It It is. It follows the story so closely. I mean, it just adds these modern touches. And it manages to do so in a world where everybody is familiar with this Christmas tale, right? So, like, somehow, even though Frank is fully aware that he's going through this experience, it's still fresh and new and troubles him, you know, uh, and has its its emotional impact and effect on him. So uh, it's it's really clever. I mean, it's a very clever script, I think, in that way. All right. So all the time that we've been talking about this, I've been watching the clock, as I always do. And I realize <laughs> we're already 50 minutes in, and we've still got a good part of the movie to talk about. So I'm going to go ahead and say Merry Christmas. This is your special extended episode <laughs> <laughs> of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. A very special episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Because there's so much that I want to talk about. Um as he's walking out, as he's leaving Claire and walking out, one of these guys who I totally recognize he's been in a million things, maybe you should look him up real quick. I don't know. But <laughs> one, one of the three guys that he had made a connection with, these homeless people, one of them asks him for $2 so that he can have some place to stay. And Frank brushes him off and goes away. And I bring it up because it comes up again later. But then we, there's, a scene uh, with Frank and Bryce where Frank tells Bryce that, you know, he's the one in charge and Bryce is a, just a dick throughout and is totally condescending, blah, blah, whatever. But everybody leaves the set and all of the lights go out and then the ghost of Christmas present arise, <laughs> arrives. And this scene is one of my... And maybe I'm hyperbolic, and maybe I say this too often, but this may be one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. <laughs> oh, my God. So I know what you're talking about, right? You're talking about uh, Carol Kane's performance yes! as the Ghost of Christmas uh, present, yes! who basically is, is a ball breaker. Oh, she comes in and she puts up a thing. It's called the Ball Breaker Suite, and uh, she's got a tutu on, and she's running around as a fairy. And cannot stop kicking Bill Murray's ass throughout this entire thing. She's <laughs> punching him in the face. She's kicking him in the balls. She's slapping him. She's pulling his lip. I guess one time she pulled his lip and he was... She actually pretty much hit him for all of these, so they claim, to the point where she was a little troubled by it and was. was crying on set from having to beat him up. And uh, she busted his lip and they had to, uh, you know, couldn't film with him for a few days while that healed. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a part where she grabs his lip and pulls it, and that little connective tissue ripped, and they had to halt production. It's so, <laughs> you know, I I think this is funny. I understand this is funny, 
this this kind of humor does not really appeal to me. And so this is actually, <laughs> this is where we're going to diverge here. This is my least favorite That's part. okay. It's all right. You can be wrong. Thank you. Oh, thank you. No, I'm positive I'm wrong. Do you know why I know I'm wrong? Is because I watched this with my wife today, and she would not stop laughing. She was curled up in a ball, laughing so hard through this entire bit, like every little smack and slap and kick just seemed funnier and funnier to her. The funniest part of the whole movie for her. And uh, I was like, okay, well, it's just not my thing, but uh, I, I understand you, you like to see women beat up on guys. I guess it's it's a great I'm married to you. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Carol Kane. I mean, yeah. she's just funny. She's always funny. Yeah. She's always funny. I mean, mm-hmm. she just has, I mean, even just in real life, like she has a funny voice and I don't know. It, it was her laugh. Hello, Frank. I'm the ghost of Christmas present. I had a funny feeling. Oh, why did you do that? Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention. She's just so much joy in in beating this guy up. And she's so funny. Oh, my God. Uh, and so where do they go? Uh, I, 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 I had to write this down because... I I imagine other people are like this too, but in my everyday life, I am constantly quoting movies and television <laughs> shows. There are several from this movie, but one of them is uh, she tells him to close his eyes. Yeah. Close your eyes. You close your eyes. Oh, no. I'm through. Don't with you them. Close your eyes. And I say that all the time. Like people would understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and so she takes him to grace's apartment we see their family they're a very very sweet family we see that calvin you know is mute and we find out that he saw his father murdered um but we also see that he's kind of a savant like all these kids are trying to figure out this puzzle and they can't but he can frank talks to the ghost and says well you know this can be fixed you know uh maybe grace is due for a race and she hmm. grabs his ear and he's like ah probably uh, <laughs> okay, <but> definitely <laughs> she's definitely due for a race and uh, then it goes to his brother's house um where we meet his wife wendy who i i didn't write her name down but she's very recognizable too she was in lots of tv shows she was in hot in cleveland she was in a show on HBO, a dirty show on HBO called Dream On in the <laughs> 90s. Oh, yeah. I remember um, that. <laughs> <laughs> she's beautiful, and, and she's really sweet in this movie. And we see, we watch, they're having a Christmas Eve party, and so they're opening presents, and, and the brother opens his present, and he gets a VCR. And he's bragging, like, showing his friends, look, my brother got me a VCR. And Frank is like, that doesn't look like a towel. Uh, <laughs> that's from my ex. 
secretary. Like, he's mad about it. And then they're, they're playing Trivial Pursuit, and the question is, what was the name of the ship that took them all to Gilligan's Island? And the ghost plugs his ears while they answer, and the brother gets it wrong, but Frank doesn't hear all of this. And when she unplugs his ears, another line that I use all the time, she goes, I know something you don't know. 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 (laughs) (laughs) And I do it all the time because I'm crazy. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He pops out of there, and the ghost is gone now, and he pops into under the street like i i don't think it's the sewer exactly but it's like a storm storm drain drain, yeah the guy who he denied money to the guy who asked him for two dollars is down there dead frozen sitting up frozen smiling because he had been a very you know gregarious smiley kind of guy and he's down there frozen and smiling and Frank has a moment where he says, maybe I should have given you those $2. And it sounds stupid when I say it, but in the moment, it's it's kind of heart-wrenching. Like, it's a yeah. moment of realization for him. Like, seriously, I could have given you $2 and then you wouldn't be here. Huh. And it's sad. And then he, he, he pops out of there back on set and he you know, again, bursts right into the scene. Um, and Grace and Bryce usher him out. And he turns to everybody and says, all right, everybody, good luck. I feel real weird about tonight. (laughs) 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 And then the show starts to air and they push him into an elevator and the ghost of Christmas future is in there and he freaks out. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. Go watch the show! He's here for me! Come on! All right, come on, give it to me! You think I'm afraid of you? The day I've had! I know what you came for. Come and get it, you pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it just cracked me up. It turns out that it was just the actor who's playing the Ghost of Christmas Future in the movie. (laughs) It's so funny. That's such a great fake-out moment. That is hilarious. So, he, But then he goes up to his office, and then the real ghost arrives. And I found this part, if any part was at all scary, I found this part a little scary. Mm. You think? Like, when the ghost showed up, like... Yeah, he, he... He's sitting He's sitting in front of this bank of televisions, right? Mm-hmm. And the ghost's face kind of appears and grows a little bigger and bigger on the TV, and then you see this hand reach out of the television, and Frank doesn't even notice it at this point, but goes to grab him. Just as it's about to grab him, somebody pops in. Elliot pops in, but just before that, Frank opens his Christmas present from his brother, and it's a handmade frame with a picture of them when they were little kids with an inscription that says, to the best brother a guy ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And he cries, and I almost cried just saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Elliot bursts in the room. He's gone postal, basically, and he's got a shotgun. And this is the moment where he goes crazy and he's chasing Frank through the offices and trying to shoot him and kill him. Frank is dodging and running around. And yeah, it's a, it's a pretty tense scene. It's It really was just the appearance of that last ghost. Like the, the bank of televisions behind Frank is every individual television is showing 
the arrival of the Ghost of Christmas Future mm-hmm. on the special. But then you see from the whole bank, from the very bottom, the real Ghost of Christmas Future, which is more grotesque than a little the more television gruesome. one. Yeah. A little more gruesome. Not a lot. I mean, it's not super gory or anything. Not, not much different. It comes in from the bottom of the screen and it just kind of takes over all of the screens in what was probably a pretty easy effect but it looks supernatural yeah elliot chases frank around and uh frank ends up in the elevator with the real ghost of christmas pat or uh, future who he at first thinks is the actor <laughs> uh, until the ghost opens up his robe to show what you had mentioned before. In the original um, story, the ghost of Christmas Future has these children. I think in the original there's only two, but I don't remember. Gross, disgusting children underneath. And they're like hunger and poverty or something like that. I don't remember. It's social commentary in the original, but the the ghost opens up his robe and these yucky puppet things are like reaching out and screaming through his rib cage again not scary but still fun practical puppety effects i like it i think it's it looks great oh it does and the ghost has like a television screen for a face and it's all kind of flashing and and he visits the future exclusively through this elevator which i also thought was really kind of a cool device that this elevator takes him to different periods in time yeah and the first uh, scene that he visits is Calvin, Grace's son, in a padded room somewhere, and Grace visiting him and being told she has to leave, even though she only just got there. And she says, you know, Merry Christmas, Calvin, I'll, I'll see ya. And she leaves him alone. And then Calvin looks up as though he can see Frank and looks him right in the eyes. And Frank turns around and he's like, this is just the possible future, right? Like, I can I can fix this. You know, I, I know the lead doctors at whatever hospital or whatever. I, I can fix it. He's still trying to talk himself out of, this is my fault. Then it cuts to a scene of Claire eating restaurant in a fancy restaurant, and she looks totally different. She's totally done up in these fancy clothes and overly dramatic makeup and she's sitting there with you know fancy ladies and there are homeless kids outside and um she says something critical about them and one of the other ladies says oh come on claire it's christmas and she says i wasted 20 years of my life on pathetic little creatures like those Finally, thank God, a friend of mine said to me, Scrape them off, Claire. You want to save somebody. Save yourself. And she cries as she says it. Like, again, I just love Karen Allen's performance because she plays against the character that she had been playing. But just in that moment, you see she knows what she's become. It's such a subtle moment, but it just works so well. And then just like in the original, uh, in, in the book, 
um, not exactly, but same scene, uh, Frank arrives at a cremation, and there is a casket getting ready to be put into the fire. Wendy, the brother's wife, uh, is standing beside it. So he thinks that his brother is being cremated, and he feels terrible, and, and he's thinking about how he can change that. But then his brother joins his wife, and so Frank walks up to the coffin and, and sees that it's him. And they start pushing the coffin into the fire. And he is trying to hold it back. And he's pleading with his brother to help him. Um, and just the things that he's saying, like, please don't let them hurt me, Jimmy. Ugh! God, you can hear it in my voice. It's killing me. <laughs> Please don't let them hurt me. Please don't yeah, let them kind of, burn me. Yeah, it kind of regresses right back to that. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up in the coffin and it's, yeah. there's flames at his feet and then uh suddenly he he bursts back out of the elevator and he's back in front of Elliot. But this is that moment. This is that moment when Scrooge wakes up and he's a completely changed man. He starts dancing around. So he kind of grabs Elliot and they're, they're like almost literally dancing around. And uh, <laughs> Elliot's just completely flabbergasted by the whole thing. And he offers him a high level executive position and all this stuff. <laughs> he offers stu- him his office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's like, do, do, do you want an office up here? And he's kind of like, oh, no, actually. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like your office. <laughs> Kisses him on the mouth. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. Hilarious. And then, I mean, and then the rest of it, this is this is the Scrooge thing, you know, he runs out and into the production and interrupts the production of the show right at the point where uh, <laughs> Buddy Hackett as, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge is flipping a coin down to the boy to get him the Christmas goose or whatever. The, the end of this movie is is another thing that gets criticized, I think, a little bit, or at least was at the time, especially by Roger Ebert. It's kind of long. It is. I was so surprised because I love it. I love this last monologue. But I was surprised when I looked at the timestamp that there was like 10 or more minutes left. It goes on for a while. Yeah. I really like it. I mean, it, it's his redemptive moment. He's changed and he talks about it and it's Christmassy and it's a wonderful message that I think everybody needs to hear. Of course, we're not all Scrooges, but we could all be more appreciative of the things that we have in our life. We could all be nicer. We could all be more patient. And and that's what he talks about through this whole thing. Bill Murray, I, I, I'm just impressed with him. Yeah. He comes across as really genuine in this moment I to the so. point of getting choked up and teary. And I believe it. It's great. Yeah, and it's random, and it kind of has a build. And, and I guess there was a whole thing written out for him that he totally ignored uh, and just went off on his own running around and doing random things. And then, you know, when he's kind of done with this speech or whatever, they start singing this song, Put a Little Love in Your Heart. Everybody ch- chimes in and sings. Yeah. It's a little corny. I mean, but this uh, yeah. is, you know, it's a Christmas movie. They tend to be corny like this. It's true. It, it is a little corny, but I don't care. I love it. But no. I, I can't let this go we're only going to ever get to talk about this movie one time and some of the things from this monologue he talks about you know a live show on christmas eve what kind of asshole would make people do that (laughs) and one of the crew members is like you asshole (laughs) fair enough and then he he shows 
the picture that his brother gave him, his brother and family are watching live on TV. Look, I got a great brother. Look at this guy here. My brother James. Look how cute he was back then. And look at me with the, the ears, the taxi driving down the street with the doors open. And got my hair growing, huh? <laughs> I got this for Christmas today from him. I gave him a towel. The VCR is from Grace, James. It's cool. He's copping up to his bad ways. Yeah, he's admitting that. And then there's a bunch of silly stuff. Like, I don't know. He he takes a baby from one of the cast members and pretends to drop it. And it's just a prop baby. And there's a mistletoe gag with one of the solid gold dancers. He kisses one of the solid gold dancers. Meanwhile, Elliot's in the control booth, like, shooting it up and... Um, Richard Donner is an extra in that scene and he ends it after he kisses the solid gold dancer he says oh that was a good kiss it was really good but it wasn't great there's really only been one great and he calls out to Claire and basically begs her for one last chance and so she is watching too from her uh, charity place so she runs out to catch a cab and it's the ghost cab driver and she says can you get me to this building whatever in three minutes and he's like which floor (laughs) (laughs) so then everybody in the studios is singing christmas carols it's really fun and sentimental and nice and he has this monologue i'm not crazy it's christmas eve it's it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer we 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 smile a little easier we we, 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 we share a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. It's a miracle. It's really a sort of a miracle because it happens every Christmas Eve. And if you waste that miracle, you're going to burn for it. I know what I'm talking about. At the end of his monologue, Calvin, Grace's son, tugs on his coat and he picks him up and says, you know, did you have something to say, little man, or something like that? And Calvin says, God bless us, everyone. And, you know, the kid has been mute, so it's a big deal. And his mom, Alfre Woodard, is overjoyed and comes and grabs him. And then Claire shows up and they (laughs) embrace. And uh, it's just so sweet. And then what you said. Uh, the the piano starts playing and Alfre Woodard leads you know everybody singing Put a Little Love in Your Heart which is a great song anyway and uh, you see everybody all over the city or nation I don't know singing and coming together Bill Murray you know riffs over the end talking to the theater audience (laughs) 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 like telling different sections to sing and calling them out and that's where it ends and for a silly horror comedy this is uh, one of the most heartwarming Christmas movies I just, ah, I can't say enough. I just love it. It's it's one of my favorite movies, period. The end. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Guys. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I knew it. I knew that I would talk and talk and talk, uh, but I don't regret it.
<laughs> I, I've wanted to talk about this movie for a long time, and we're only going to get to do it one time. And I had to say what I wanted to say, and I got through it barely without crying. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, I'm just glad we finally got this out of the way. <laughs> no, you know I love this movie too. It's fantastic. It stood the test of time. I really feel like it has, and uh, and we always fire it up at least once a year. It's I, what, I can't say anything more than what you said, Craig. Uh, I, I highly recommend if you haven't seen this movie yet or you haven't seen it in a long time, uh, it's just what you need right now. And Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you for being listeners all through the year. We've got a lot more coming. No COVID's going to keep us down. That's right. And uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find us online, as you well know. We'll go to twoguys.red40net.com, leave us a message. Go to our YouTube channel, subscribe to us there, leave us a message there as well. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys and a Chainsaw.